0: You can't really be a valuable advisor to a company unless you've lived in their shoes for a while. And so we really try at the very beginning of every investment to really get involved. Uh, if it's customer interactions, it's definitely knowing every member of the team you're hiring, making sure that there's a good fit there. And you know, we spend a bunch of time at the beginning really just getting involved in those
1: companies. Hello, and welcome to Shopify Masters, the podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm your host, Adam Levinter. So picture this, you have a brilliant product, a tight business plan, and a great strategy. Perhaps you're already in market and scaling up, yet you don't have enough capital to fund the next phase of growth. Joining me today is Robin Axon, general partner at Mantella Venture Partners, a venture firm with a phenomenal track record, including being a very early stage investor in QuickPlay play media, ritual, shop AI, and others. Robin is here to chat with me about all things venture capital and entrepreneurship, Robin, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you again, Adam. Yeah, you too. So there's a lot going on in 2022. We've got rising interest rates, rapid inflation, supply chain woes, markets in general are down. All these things are impacting what's happening in the world of venture, of course. Give us a state of play, Robin, in early stage venture this year and where you expect things to head in Q4 and beyond. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a
0: question that I'm hearing at every board meeting and every company considering raising money. And I think we all know coming into 2022, when the markets crash, the advice that was going around the board was, you know, if you can cut burn, if you can lengthen runway, do not raise, do not plan to raise money in 2022, 2023. I mean, I think that advice still really holds. Everyone's focused on trying to build or get to profitability, reduce dependency on venture money. Um, and I I think that that really does hold. But you know, the the one thing that I would say is I I'm one of the old guys in venture now, and this has been going on these these cycles come and go. And you know, I think these these kinds of corrections that force you to take your foot off or your your eye off growth and a little bit more on business um fundamentals is is a good thing. And that's kind of what's happening. So ultimately good companies will get funded and companies with the right fundamentals will get funded. And it's not just about growth anymore.
1: Um, How are you guys resetting? Like, are you coming up with some different criteria in terms of what you deem attractive in a potential investment versus say where you were last year?
0: You you know, it's interesting. We, we aren't as comfortable as a fund um, you, you know, we're a small fund, you know, we're very hands on, we like to really get involved with the entrepreneurs. And one of the fundamental tenets of our investment thesis is that we can support a business to a level of profitability. We generally don't like to invest in these in, in the kinds of companies that require 10s or hundreds of millions of dollars to, to get to a point where they can be sustainable we like to build things that we could, if we had to, if no other investor was interested, we could support the business. So in this kind of environment, this is exactly what we do. We, we were built for this environment. In fact, you know, my partner and I have talked about this a bit. The, the past two or three years, or maybe even longer, you could argue, um, has been a really unusual time with crazy high valuations. You, you sometimes wonder what you're doing wrong. You know, th- this correction sort of shows us. That, you know, we did the
1: right thing by sticking to what we're good at. Do you feel like you guys will be okay sitting on the sidelines and not making investments, say, for the foreseeable future, the next 12 months or so?
0: No. We're, I mean, we're, we've actually had our most active year of investing since the formation of Mantella Venture Partners this year. Um, we have never seen better companies. The The kinds of founders – remember, we're very early stage. We meet founders when there's a founder – and a concept and a category, and, and it's very early. But the kinds of founders that are willing to start companies in this environment are our kind of founders. Tenacious, they really have a passionate um, interest in the in the in the category or the product they're trying to build. And uh, so for us, we're we're seeing a very very active period coming over the next you know continued twelve months.
1: You know, I had this tabled for later on in the conversation, but you know, you bring it up. So, what makes someone a good founder? What are the qualities and characteristics that you believe founders need to have in order to be successful?
0: Yeah, Uh, no, look, it's everything. If we're as early as I say we are, which we have been in most of our investments, we only have the founder to evaluate, you know, and, and maybe a category to go in. So we've spent the past, you know, 10 or 12 years working on a founder scorecard where we really focus on you know, the history of the founder, the attributes of the founder, what you can get out of reference checks, um, even just the early beginnings of the company. But I'd say to you, like if we had to really, I mean, and in our scorecard sometimes is 10 criteria, sometimes it's seven, it's eight, we kind of go back and forth on this all the time and, and try to evolve it. But, you know, fundamentally, it's, it's really about the ability to to grow and learn and listen to be mentored, you know, if if you have a founder that's going to grow as fast as the business is, it's going to be fantastic. And I think this the second thing that's really important is that you know is that tenaciousness in a founder that the the founder is not going to give up. And you know, you know, we've got some other things we look for that I think you know, depending on how mature this the state of that business is or how many companies the you know the founder has has built. But if you combine those two things, I think you have really the the perfect kind of founder for our
1: portfolio. Do you look specifically at tenacity relative to previous businesses or track record in business or do you find you come across say first time founders that have this?
0: Great question. You know, I think the hard part here is you you don't always have another portfolio co- or a company that the founder has built. You look for it in their lives. You look for it in things they've done you know you know the program they they chose at university and why and what they did with it and and how far they took it did they have any little seedlings of startups did they sell t-shirts during university what caused them to quit that you look for the transition points between where they were in their lives and what were the little things that tipped them off what they were aiming to do and or or do they have a history of seeing everything through so you know it, it's great if you have a successfully built portfolio company in their past but that's often not the case
1: so Robin, in your personal opinion then, what makes someone a good founder? What are some of the qualities and characteristics that you believe founders should have in order to be successful? So, you know, if it's an early, early, early stage company
0: and there's no traditional kind of venture money in there, we, I always recommend angels that understand the, the domain or the, the category or the, or the kind of company you're building. You always want to add someone to your business that's going to add value to it. Um, Someone that will understand it. Someone that you know when things don't go as planned, they get it. You know that they're they've been there before. Um, When it you know, and I think that actually that advice holds throughout all levels. But you know when you get into you know moving beyond your first your million dollar check and you want to raise a five to ten million dollar round, a venture investor that has made investments in a similar kind of company is going to be there. Is going to show that they can be there through the the good and the bad times. Every company is going to go through bad days. It always does. There's always a hiccup. There's always something terrible that happens or that makes you look like you're not going to make it through the finish line. A founder, or a VC that's been there before in those kinds of companies is not only going to be helpful. They're going to be aligned and understanding. So that's you know when we look at we invest in the very very early stages of companies. So we're there for the you know the discussion of what kind of other additional capital do we want to bring on and and who do we choose is it is it about the highest valuation or is it the best alignment and fit and support and we always choose the latter
1: what industries do you guys typically invest in and as a second part to this question can you share some of the key metrics ratios KPIs that you guys look for
0: yeah i mean we so at a very very broad you know top of the funnel kind of discussion we invest in software software is where You can build, you know, very, very efficiently, you know, 500 grand to a million dollar early, early investment can get you pretty far. It can get you customers, can get you some repeatability in the sales funnel. And so inside of that question, it's whether or not we're looking for, you know, you've got consumer or B2B, you've got vertical market software. And honestly, we... You know, I think the 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 only one that I would say is tricky, and we've made a few investments: Ritual, Felix, and Rome in in the category of of direct to consumer. But we're often a lot more cautious, higher bar when it comes to consumer, because inevitably they come with a requirement for raising cash for marketing and and uh, you mm-hmm. know require a little bit more capital. But if the founders are outstanding, then you know then we uh, then we'll spend a little bit more time there. And then you know when it comes to our you know, the operating metrics we look at at the time, a lot of times we don't have them. A lot of times we we will spend the time with the founder talking to early early customers, really trying to understand the market because a lot of time there isn't anything there yet. It's trying to validate the basic elements of the business, the acquisition costs of customers relative to the value of customers over time. And how will that look when it starts to scale? And it's really, really basic things when you when you look at it that way. And they obviously break down into cohorts and more complicated analyses, but that's usually stuff we're doing with the founders as we're preparing to raise additional capital after our round.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's go back a little bit uh, because we, we got to talk you back about your background. It's, it's so interesting. You know, we've seen some interesting career pivots, but I don't think we've come across yours yet. So how do how does one go from aerospace engineering into venture?
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I have to admit, my father was not incredibly happy that that transition. He liked having <laughs> a, a rocket scientist son for a while there. My, my transition is pretty simple. I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I realized after I got a job and I worked uh, at the Canadian Space Agency that it really wasn't for me long term. There wasn't enough innovation and, and people interactions in it for me. And I started to, uh, explore the idea of becoming an entrepreneur and did an MBA and, you know, uh, met a, bu- met a bunch of people along the way, CEOs, company builders, things like that. And I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur and along, along the way of doing that, I put a pitch deck together, you know, a 27 year old version you know, of myself out there saying, I'm going to take on the world and here's the big company I'm going to build. And the feedback was pretty consistent. Um, you know, hey, you're a smart guy. This sounds really interesting, but you're too young and you've never built a company before. So I ultimately took a job with a venture fund that I was pitching the idea to, as opposed to raising money from them. And it was, I remember going to, uh, you know, to a, a, it was an interview at a at a, a open house party for the venture fund. And so I got to meet all the CEOs, then the port, you know, the portfolio companies. And one of the CEOs said to me, you know, do it take this job. I know you want to be an entrepreneur. That sounds good. But imagine you can learn from the dark side for three or four years. But then when you go back out to raise, or, you know, to raise money and build your company, you'll have understood both sides of the coin. So I planned that and never actually escaped.
1: <laughs> so still, still here. You know before what, we, before we talk further about this, um, this career path, I find it interesting that there's not enough innovation in the world of space that um, you decided to take a leap over into uh, the world of, of just sort of building companies and general entrepreneurship.
0: Yeah, and, and and honestly, it's it's a little fair and a little unfair. Like you know, a, a one point would be that you know the computing technology they use in the space station is is way behind what we're using today in our phones and our houses and things like that, but. And there's some incredible innovation in hardware and camera and detection and automation in space that allow all these things to happen safely. It, it is an amazing area. And if I really, if I'm really honest about it, it was really working in the space industry during the 1997, 98, 99 boom of technologies where everything in the world felt more exciting than what I was doing. Really is what happened. And it was just really tricky for me to sit there and imagine, you know, the you know the next uh, space station arm project, which won't launch for five years. You know, let's spend our time building you know manuals and operating procedures for this awesome new technology, but it's a five-year away thing. Meanwhile, eBay had just been built and had grown to you know a billion-dollar company in next to no time. And so, I was probably drawn out more than I was pushed out of the of that
1: industry. Mm-hmm. I'm chatting with Robin Axon, general partner at Mentella Venture Partners. Robin, what is the origin story of Mantella Ventures? And how do you and Duncan become general partners there?
0: Yeah, the origin story is, uh, I'll, I'll, it's got a couple of little bumps, so I'll make sure I hit them. But we uh, Duncan was a, an entrepreneur in residence at, at a, a venture fund that I worked at. It was my, my first venture fund that I worked at uh, starting in 2001. And Duncan had sold his company to IBM and joined as an entrepreneur in residence. And we spent a lot of time working on the investments we'd all made together. And um, so the, uh, we, we sort of planned from early on that we were definitely going to do something together. Uh, Ventures West made a call uh, after their eighth fund, that was the fund that I was at, that, to not raise an additional fund. And so there really wasn't a, the path forward was gone. I had been made partner there. I had had amazing mentors and experiences by working there. Learned a ton. And so we went off on our own without a real plan and we stumbled into two amazing entrepreneurs, Ray Reddy, who was the, who was the CEO uh, and, and founder of Ritual, and Chris Sikornik, who was building Disco now, but was building, it's also in our portfolio, um, is, uh, was building uh, Chango then. Right. Yeah. And so we, we just spent every day, we joined in an office together, and we spent every day um, building those two, their, their first two companies, which were Push Life and Chango. And now they're Ritual and Disco. Um, and, and loving every minute of actually getting into operations, you know, business development, sales calls, ops, hiring, firing. It was, it was an amazing experience. And out of that, w- we got a phone call one day from, a from a group representing someone that wanted to build up a venture fund, wanted to be a partner financially, but wanted to build something up. And it was really aligned with what we were trying to do, which was really hands-on really about, um, upside, not making money on, 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 on salaries, but really if, if we could build something great, you know, we, we'd all do well. And uh, so we partnered with uh, the Mantella Corporation to build Mantella Venture Partners. And uh, that was 2009.
1: You know, and 13 years later um, you guys have a killer track record. I mean, folks in the Toronto startup scene in venture more specifically, they speak to the quiet yet very impressive track record of this company and this portfolio that you guys have built. So, so congratulations. If we were to think about, um, your key differentiators as a VC, I I know you mentioned hands-on support. What are some of the other differentiators that Mantella pedals and what does hands-on support actually mean from a founder perspective? What should they expect?
0: I mean, look at at the end of the day, we, we do, have the luxury of being a lot older than we were when we were starting this out and we have a lot of experiences there have been a lot of I mean, duncan founded his own company early on and sold it and went through the trials and tribulations of that and now we've done that with a lot of different companies but i would say you know the on a working basis what it generally looks like is we don't we don't spend our time trying to contribute at a board level we we try to get involved in uh, you know maybe if it's a really early company a weekly ops meeting where we help set that up and structure the plan for the year and how we measure it and how we monitor it. And, you know, it's something that Duncan and I believe very strongly in. We learned a long time ago, and that is that you can't really be a valuable advisor to a company unless you've lived in their shoes for a while. And so we really try at the very beginning of every investment to really get involved. Uh, If it's customer interactions, it's definitely knowing every member of the team you're hiring, making sure that there's a good fit there. And, you know, we spend a bunch of time at the beginning really just getting involved in those companies. So if a debate comes up, I don't need a 15 minute background discussion on what the debate is. I should know I'm in there and I, I should have enough context to add a lot of value. And you know, you every once in a while you get the the privilege of being 8 years into a company like Ritual where you're still valuable and 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 one of the reasons is because you've spent so much time at the beginning of the formation of the business to really understand where it came from.
1: We're chatting with Robin Axon, general partner at Mentella Ventures. So Robin, correct me if I'm wrong, but before the pandemic, one of the attractive things about Mentella is that after you would make a portfolio investment, you'd actually have these companies physically sit in your office so all of your portfolio companies were physically in that same space so now that we are beyond covid is this still the setup
0: yeah i mean look if 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 you had talked to me 13 years ago and said hey how is this going to work it's not going to scale i would have said that's a really good point thanks for pointing that out to me but somehow we've made it work we we are on wellington street here in an old you know brick and beam building and when we make an investment we, we throw out the offer to the company and I'd say ninety plus percent of the companies have come in hired and and grown here and then you know evolved beyond us and moved out here as soon as there was way too many people for the for the uh for the space but yeah all, you know we we're still here we have two companies in the office with us um, there's a little bit of uh of uh remote work happening but you know in the past, you know basically throughout this summer and, and beyond, everybody's been in. But yeah, there's two companies here. And, you know, one of them is actually just just exceeding the size limitation and moving out, uh, moving out in October. And then we'll do it all over again.
1: <laughs> I imagine there's also value in having these companies interact with one another um, in terms of where they are on the business lifecycle side of things. Is that a value add?
0: Yeah. And we, we sort of look at it as the Mantella family. And, uh, you know, the number of times a CEO of one company is either co-invested or helped hire or, you know, given advice to someone at different stages of their business. It's, it's, it is a really, really important part of what we, you know, enjoying what we have and, 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 uh, you know, helping grow what we have. And, you know, for example, we have, we often try to throw a collective, uh, you know, office, uh, Get together on a Thursday night. You know, maybe it's once every two months, three months, four months. But it's pretty neat to know we're doing one this this coming Thursday, ironically. And uh, I think there'll be representation from seven or eight of the different companies all coming in. And the and you know, one of the benefits is you're a, you're an eight person company and a and a Thursday beer night or or, or social night on uh, with eight people is not that exciting. But when it becomes seventy two people, it's pretty neat. You feel like you're at the center of something a lot bigger than you you know, than you currently can
1: take credit for. Totally. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of folks listening that are probably thinking about raising, even though it it might not be, as you say, the right time to raise capital. But notwithstanding that, what can you share in terms of valuations and how multiples have been impacted? Let's just use SaaS uh, as an example. Let's look back at, say, 2021. Where are we now? Three quarters of the way through 2022. And what do you think? How do you think founders should reset expectations in that regard?
0: Yeah, valuations have definitely come down. And I think the bigger you are as a company, the more evident it is. When you have a $10 million run rate and you might have been expecting several hundred million dollar valuation or way higher than that, they've definitely come down. And they, you know, that is definitely sort of more mark to market where you look at the public markets and you can see the comparisons and they've dragged everything down. Early stage venture is still, you know, seed stage, pre-seed. Uh, it, it really does, you know, if you come if you come to the table with an a repeat founding team, you're still going to get benefited in uh, valuation wise. It's still hard to find those. They're still very rare, you know. And if you're a first time founder, no track record, maybe even no team, you know, valuations never really went up and never really came down. Uh, they they are going to be what they are. And and honestly. You know, I, the question is about expectations. But honestly, I, I always try to move people's expectations off valuation and more on the value of the investors you bring to the table when you're when you're putting a round together.
1: Yeah, I think that makes total sense.
0: I would rather you look at the option that says, you know, here's someone who understands my business, is going to add a ton of value to it, versus the person paying the most.
1: You know, sometimes I find, at least in my experience, that a lot of founders don't know whether or not their business is a venture-worthy type of business, right? They're sort of thinking about venture capital, but maybe not understanding that actually going that VC equity route um, is not as attractive as, say, bootstrapping or, or using debt as a vehicle for growth. So what do you think the right profile of a potentially VC-backed SaaS company would look like? Or even a D2C company, let's say. Um, when should founders start thinking about VC money versus, say, the alternatives? You know, this was one of the premises in founding Mantella
0: Venture Partners was that, you know, throwing 5 to $10 million Series A at any company leaves these companies in a really bad spot. When they find out later, they're not really the venture kind of growth story that they need to be. And they've got this giant liquidation pool they have to pay back. And if they build a $19 million company, then everybody's unhappy. And and honestly, it it, it really does come down to alignment of the size of the company you think you can build. And, and my view on that is you don't always know that day one. There's certain businesses that you know are going all or nothing and in, into major categories, but there's other businesses that you don't know that yet. And so we always suggest waiting in, you know, look, look for a million dollar reasonably sized angel round and really try to prove that you're worthy of raising a five to $10 million seed or a, or whatever you want to call the next category then. And, you know, and and take it like stepping stones across the river. You're not trying to make it all go in one jump. Once you're on stepping stone one, the visibility across the river is is increased. You can see more of where this company can go and how big it can be. And you can make those decisions then, as opposed to all at once at the beginning, where you're left with no choice but to build a a 10x return company, which is what every venture fund is looking for, or, or, or 10x plus. Um, or nothing. And so those are the kinds of companies that have no options that continue to try to grow unreasonably fast because otherwise there's nothing useful for their investors.
1: No, I think a lot of it is just getting real about um, the pressures of, of building a company when you do have uh, a big round backing you. Um, thanks for sharing that color. Um, Robin, you know, you've had amazing success with Mantella. You've served on several boards, um, you've been behind some great technology companies. What has been the most difficult lesson that you've learned along the way? Something unexpected.
0: Yeah, I think I, I think a couple just in the theme of what you're talking about um, is definitely you know you look at you look at the options you look at raising money and you look at making these decisions as a company and valuation and growing. I think one of the things that you 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 don't realize is that. If you ever have to step back off to, off of some of these decisions, let's say you're trying to you raise money at a fifty million dollar valuation and you're growing, and then you realize, whoa, this is not sustainable. We have to step back. We have to maybe raise on a down round. Something has to be. We have to we have to lay a few people off in our company because we have to, our burn is too high. These things seem on paper like they're really easy to do, and they are incredibly difficult. In many many cases, they kill the company. It's not necessarily immediately, maybe six months later, maybe a year later. And we're going through a time right now where everybody is considering layoffs. Everybody is dealing with down rounds across the board. And it is a really tricky time. And it will be interesting to see which companies can manage through it. It, this, This kind of environment takes a lot of companies down. And I think it's honestly one of, if I were to take the CEOs in our portfolio and ask, what's the worst thing that they've ever had to go through in any you know, any part of building their business, everyone would say something around a layoff or a down round, meaning you've got to, not, not so much that the valuation went down, but you now have a whole bunch of people that maybe aren't as motivated to keep building the company. So it's these negative forces that you got to deal with. And definitely layoffs and down rounds are the worst.
1: Mm-hmm. But we are seemingly heading into that type of environment, that a sort of recessionary environment. Assuming we are in uh, a pseudo-recessionary environment, We'll probably have a lot of this. Um, for those that don't really understand the mechanics of a down round and how that might kill the company, could we just double click on that? Um, e- explain how this works in practice and how this could really uh, kill a company, as you say.
0: Yeah, I think like there's a couple parts of it. One is your your entire employee base, your team. You've been handing them stock options, presumably, and many of our in all of our company cases, stock options is a big part of why you might cho- choose to join a company. And the stock options come with a strike price, the price that, that that option is worth. And if the if the valuation of the business starts to drop such that the stock options no longer have any, any value to the employee, they're going to look beyond that. They're going to say, look, why have I taken maybe a slightly below market salary or I spent 80 hours a week with this company? You know why would I do that if 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 the extra piece that I was doing for that extra reward is not there? Um, the other one that I think is a really big part of it is once you've had your valuation come down, it, it can happen in a couple of ways. One, it might be an inside group of investors; everyone that's still there decides to raise money at a lower valuation and they put more money in the company and they agree on the new terms. Or it might be set from someone on the outside, and now you're stuck in this position where your valuation is down. It may be harder to attract new investors. You may not be able to attract new investors. You may just be dealing with your inside group. and now you've maybe pulled the last of the money out of that inside group into this company. you know there everyone has a limited um, commitment to uh, to each investment. And if you pull it out in this sort of saving round, the down round, you may not have any other options left to go outside other than ext- like if if I'm looking at a company and I it's my very first look at a company, I assume I'm making a late stage investment. I'm going to compare it to everything around me. And if this is a company that's struggling and failing and has huge liquidation pool of capital, I'm either going to say we need to really correct the the situation or it's going to have to be a really low valuation to go forward. So it just gets harder and harder to fund that company from the
1: outside. Assuming these stock options greatly impact company morale, right, what is the role now of the founder in not only resetting expectations and coming to terms with reality on the ground, but going back to their employee base and motivating everybody again. Like, what are you seeing work in in terms of founders kind of rallying their troops and getting their employees to stick around versus say leaving for some other option?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think it's the the what is what you said. How do you remotivate, and the how is the hard part, and. You know, it's, that's, a, that's an individual character trait. You know, there are certain founders that are just amazing at resetting. Hey, here's the reality. Here's the new story. They lay out another vision, even though it's on, the past, on, a, on a past failed vision, potentially, or just even a bad environment. And they say, Here the, here's the new vision. Let's get excited, rah, rah, rah. And they can get people excited again, even a second or a third time. You know, you've got the Steve Jobs type founders out there that have done it over and over and over, even in the face of, of bankruptcy. Even in the face of a failed company and a new company on the other side, um, it really is a this is a, a, a trait of a founder that you, you you need to have if you want to survive these times.
1: I'm chatting with Robin Axon, general partner at Mentella. Robin, uh, before we go, I was intrigued to see that you founded the young venture capitalist community at CVCA. Where does your inspiration for helping younger entrepreneurs come from?
0: It back in 2001, I joined venture capital, joined Ventures West. And there were not a lot of younger members in the venture community. I think that it was a time where people were starting to, it's a, it's a young industry in Canada. And I started this, uh, this, this group called the Young Venture Capitalist, the YVC, uh, funded it out of my funds bank account, you know, raised money for a golf tournament, had a golf tournament, had another at a, at a uh, dinner and things like that. So all of the people that were, you know, the young associates had a place to meet each other in a, environment that was a little bit more friendly than the, you know, the, the big CVCA kind of conferences. And it took off and it's, uh, it's been really successful and kudos to the CVCA. The C- C- CVCA came along about two or three years in and said, we love what you did. Let's bring this in and branch this into the the larger organization. Uh, the industry organizations called the Canadian venture capital association. They brought it in, nurtured it, supported it, made it about 10 times bigger than it was. Um, I'm really proud of that. I, I'm really proud of what they've done with it. It's become something really great and it still persists. But your question was about where did it come from? I, mean, I think the working with entrepreneurs and the advising and uh, and you know what I do in my day-to-day life, which is what I love, I've always found that I've been innately interested in business. I, I love every aspect of business. I love learning about it. I love all the new challenges. Every new company we go into is different. There is no playbook that works for every company. It's so amazing. I love business. But I was nurtured by two teachers and two great teachers that love teaching. And I, I definitely have a, have a bit of that in my body where it's about, it's about working with people and helping make other people great and help w- helping watch other people learn and finding those people that are the most open to learning. And, you know, if you, if you look at it for me, it's the perfect mix of, of what I was meant to do.
1: Awesome. Robin, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for the color. Appreciate you being here. That's Robin Axon from Mantella Venture Partners. I'm Adam Levinter. I'll catch you next time on Shopify Masters.